Thank you, ladies. That's beautiful. Hope everybody had a good Christmas. Uh, we were blessed. You guys were too, just to be with loved ones and family. And looks like there's quite a few that have, uh, are are usually here that aren't. And uh, hope to have them back. And uh, anyways, hope they're listening, as Jerry had said too. But I want to. Um, do something a little different for the next couple of weeks. With the new year upon us, I got to thinking, uh, what does God want to do? What does God want to do in our midst? And what is church anyway? Right? And so we're going to look at some of that over the next three weeks. Uh, this week I want to look at, and I want to look from Philippians 3, 1 through 14, but I'll be jumping around the Bible some too. Uh, and today we're going to look at Philippians 3, 1 through 6, and this week, we're going to look at realizing good is not good enough. Next week, seeing the God who sees me. And then finally, where am I looking now? So, encourage you in honor of our great and awesome God to stand as I read aloud Philippians 3, 1 through 6. And we're just going to jump in. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Let's pray. God, who are we that you are mindful? Thank you, Lord. Through Christmas, we understand we are somebody that you would come. Uh, Father, I pray that you speak far beyond what I can say. Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you today. Father, thank you for the opportunities this year has. And Father, may we be in tune with you. And God, we need to learn to just call it like it is, Lord, <laughs> as far as where we are. And so I just pray, oh God, that, uh, Lord, your word would come alive. And I just thank you so far that we've been able to, to give you the glory, Lord, in what we do. It's singing and praying and giving. And, Father, all those functions, it is just a way for us to worship. And we consider this part worship, too, Lord, to you. So... Have your way, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, all right, guys, jumping in. I got to thinking about this second of Scripture. God brought it to my mind. And in these verses that I read, you've got the Apostle Paul who felt the very call of God upon his life. And his first thought was, when he heard God call out to him, his name, Saul, as he was called, 
before the encounter with Jesus Christ. It means asked of God. So God asked him, follow me, love me, be sold out to me. And that's what he heard. He, he heard, be somebody, be somebody for God. And so that's what he did. Saul started out to be the most he could be for God. And in order to be somebody, it means i got to follow the most rules. It means i got to be the guy that is so close to God that he might want to come and ask my advice. That was Saul. I want you to uh, look at that last part of verse 6 that I read to you guys. Kind of sums it up. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through the culture of um, you know, what some of this meant to do all the rules and to follow God because he was the mighty rule keeper. Verse 6, that last phrase kind of sums it up. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. In other words, he was the king of the rule keepers. He was the religious zealot. Today we, we see those who you know, look around and say, you know, I, I'm going to be good. I, I love a, a message I had heard years ago uh, from Peter Marshall who had said there's a difference between being good and being goody-goody. And there are many in church who are moral people who believe that their job is to be goody-goody. And the fact of the matter is, we, we have this idea, well, I've not been arrested, and my mouth is mostly sanitized, and I know when to stop drinking the brewskis. I'm a good citizen, and I know how to say thank you, and I know how to say please, and to be polite. And, and so, therefore, I go a step further than most people. So certainly, surely, when God looks at me, He's going to say, that's a nice guy there. I think that... I'm going to bless him. I think I'm going to honor him. And then there are those like Paul that even go further. They become like religious zealots. Well, I want to make sure that I'm good enough. I'm going to go further than anybody else. So there is no question when people see me, they're going to see somebody. Makes me think of the religious zealots who are suicidal those that we know of in the Muslims who were extremists, the Islamicists, when they yell out, Allah, Akbar, praise to Allah, and then people's lives are taken for a zealous cause. And even the church members, oh, we can come across as so righteous, you know, when it says that Jesus was a friend of sinners, do sinners really think that about most of us? As, as church people, we may not kill somebody. We may not have our saying like Allah Akbar. We might not say, praise be to the glory of God. But yet we may have laser beam eyes that look at others and they don't feel like they are received. Or they are accepted. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, he says, I was faultless in the way I did church, in the way I kept the rules. And yet, there wasn't a freedom. Yet, there wasn't a joy. 
I think it's interesting. I had mentioned the name Saul means asked of God. And I believe in Saul's thinking, God is speaking to me. He's calling me. And that means I need to be more. But when he met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, his name was changed. Then he went from this idea of having to be somebody to a name that means little. You see, the word Paul means little. There was a new understanding. It wasn't, I got to be somebody special. I got to be better than you guys if I'm going to earn God's favor. But instead, he understood, no, I got to be little because he is big. And I want him to be big in my life. And for him to be big in my life, it means that I must become not more, but less. You think that Paul, who studied the scriptures so fiercely, would be well aware of the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 7, verse 20, who declared, indeed, there is no one righteous. There is no one who always does right and never sins. But that was not the case. He thought, I can do it. I can be good enough. I can be big enough. And the problem often is with us, guys, is that we do not understand the standard. We think that I just look out there and I just got to be better than you. But the fact of the matter is, if you're honest with yourself, that is never good enough. And it is not good enough for me to just be better than you because the standard is not me and you. The standard is God. That is the standard. And so in Paul's life, when he met Jesus Christ, there was a change of thought. It's not about me being bigger. It's about God and His glory being bigger in me and me becoming smaller so that I'm emptied where He can fill me up and do His glory within my life. That is the standard. Matter of fact, it's really a picture of the cross. Right? You got both. You look up. You have that vertical right relationship with God. And then you're able to look out with one another. And it, it forms the cross. That became alive. It became revealed in Paul's life. Not only was this revealed in Paul's life, it is illustrated in the teaching of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount. And guys, if you think that you are good enough to reach God, then you need to read the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, wow, you can't walk away after studying the Sermon on the Mount and think you're really good enough. Chapter 5, verse 48, which is the last verse in chapter 5, says it like this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ouch. Now, if any of you guys tell me you're perfect, let me tell you something. You're delusional. And if I need to, I'll just ask your family. As a matter of fact, I thought about this. I mean, ask your parents. Oh, he was always just a perfect little chap. Yeah, right. I remember my Aunt Pearl, uh, man, she was, I don't know, she was a little delusional, I guess, thought, couldn't remember how bad I was, and she was at the house one time, and she was talking to a neighbor, and at that time I had uh, sensed God calling me to preach. Anyway, he does, you know, trying to turn my life around. Jesus does that in us, right? And so, you know, my Aunt Pearl, and you've heard me, well, you've heard me talk about Pearl, but she's talking to this neighbor, and the neighbor says, 
yeah, I remember Todd when he was little. He was a little hellion. He's a little troublemaker. Nant Pro got kind of puffy. Can't believe you just said that about my nephew. Hey, the truth of the matter is, man, we're sinners. Right? And so a, a, a parent knows that about a child, certainly. And I know there are a few grandparents that my grandchild's perfect. I know how to resolve that. Let them stay at your house for a week. That'll fix that. That'll take care of some of that. And then certainly children in regard to their parents, I believe that every child at some point think their parent must be related to Satan himself. I mean, you won't allow me to have fun or do good things. And even a spouse. Man, if you talk to a spouse and you say, well, he's perfect or she's perfect. Are you kidding me? A spouse would say, certainly you're delusional, and I have the evidence to prove it. Man, I can, and I don't want to hear any of that after church, okay? We don't have that. I don't, none of that testimony, okay? I don't need any of that. Let me just share a couple of passages from Matthew 5, where Jesus really lays it on the line. You think you're perfect? Nah. Listen to some of these. This is Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So, you know, it's Preacher, I've never killed anybody. I might have banged them up a little bit. But I never killed anybody. And Jesus goes on and says, Guys, it's not merely physical murder that condemns you. It is your heart toward another person. When, When he talks about... Anger, he goes on, he gives two words to describe that anger. He says, raka, which is a word that literally describes a person's intelligence, where you're saying, well, that guy's just not all there. And, and you're, you're speaking, they're not even worth being a part of society. What do they have to offer? Uh, this could be translated, nitwit, blockhead, numbskull, bonehead, brainless idiot. You know, I like to say knothead. Someone's obviously called me a knothead in the past. But it is that picture of looking at a person and not seeing them as made in the image of God and having value connected to that person. And then the word fool is not talking about intelligence, but talking about character. It is contempt for the character of that person. That person's just not worth my time. There's not a person who is not worth the cross of Christ. He died for everybody. So Jesus says, okay, you say, I never physically murdered anybody. But have you been so angry with another person that you called them a knothead or a blockhead? Or or, or you attacked their intelligence, you attacked their character, and you said, they're just not worth anything. Jesus says, if so, you are a sinner. Man, that's all of us. Let me give you another example. This is still in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus 
27, 28. Man, Jesus sometimes nail us. Listen to this one, guys. <clears throat> You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You say, well, you know, I haven't had a physical act with another person. What about your mind? Lust. Man. Tough. Because let's face it, there's lust in all of us, guys, gals. Uh, years ago, we used to watch a show. I, my clock's broke, so I can't tell you how long ago it was. They had the Friday night lineup, TGIF, you know, thank God it's not over. One of those shows on there was Full House. Man, you watch that every week. Some of you guys may have watched that. And, and you had this couple on the show. There was Jesse and Becky. And Jesse, he'd look at Becky, he'd say, have mercy. <sighs> Guys, I'm a guy, you know, just like you guys. Every once in a while, you know, you see some woman and it's like, have mercy. Ooh, this hurts. My dad used to kind of say it like this. He says, son, she's Baboom. Now, I've never seen a definition of what baboom actually is, but baboom, I've seen it. I remember one time uh, we were at a beach and, and I saw all the guys going, and I was like, what? And then I saw her. So I did that too. <laughs> you know, that, that's why, that's, that's what can happen. I remember one time in college, uh, and I was at Mars Hill College, and there were some guys, and we were talking about this this lady. Uh, I won't mention the name because I'm as small as small as the world is. Sure enough, somebody would know her, even a kid, you know. And we were going, "Oh my God, oh man, mm, she's fine." You know, we we're talking, "Oh, whoo," you know. And uh, one of the guys, Bernard, Bernard Stedman, he he was on the football team, real big guy, friend of mine, big black guy, and he said. He said, Todd, you, you're talking about being a preacher and, and you're thinking like that about another woman? I looked at him, I said, Bernard, I'm a Christian, dude. I'm not dead. <laughs> you know, whew, this is what Jesus says, that, that those thoughts that run in our mind to, to, that are contrary to his best for a relationship for the boundaries of relationship that God has created. When we have those, we're, we're sinning. It is breaking the covenant of God that He desires for those relationships. And we're all guilty at some point and in some way of that sin. Matter of fact, there is an epidemic in regards to pornography today. And it's, in, it's not just out of the church. It's among many of God's people, as many are suffering as they've fallen into that addiction, into that trap. What is in our mind, it doesn't actually have to be the physical consummation, but there can be a type of mental consummation that's lustful, and it is sinful, and guys, we're guilty. We're guilty. So that brings me to this third part here. Realizing that good is not good enough, is to be manifested 
in us. In Kingsway, in the church universal, we are in a world that desperately needs Christ. And they need to know that we are welcome, welcoming to them here at Kingsway. And they need to know that, that we're not just on this quest to be morally superior to one another so that we can somehow get God's favor, but that we are broken, that we are all a mess, and that we desperately need Jesus Christ in our lives and His healing. Uh, listen, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And, and you know, the church at Corinth was one of the most messed up groups of people who <laughs> suffered with all kinds of temptation and struggle and, and sin and everything else. But he says to this group of believers who are just kind of bumping along, trying to follow God, and sometimes falling and sometimes making it, he said, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. You know, he starts out as he talks to, to this group who are broken, they're a mess. And he says, we who with unveiled faces. What is he saying? The mask can come off. When we talk to God, we don't come pretending to be somebody else. The word hypocrisy was often a reference to actors and actresses who in portraying a character would wear a mask to portray that character. And, and what Paul is saying, what God is speaking to us, is that the mask can come off. We can come before God as we really are. We don't have to pretend that we are really better than everyone who is around us. We don't have to pretend that God doesn't know what we're really doing. We can take the mask off. We come before Jesus with unveiled faces because Jesus Christ, in dying for us, has given us a direct relationship face-to-face -face with the living God. That's the promise that he gives to us. Here's a freeing thought, as I thought about this, guys. To confess means to agree with God. Just to come clean, right? When we realize being good is not good enough, we need a Savior, we need Jesus, the opposite's also true. Being bad is never bad. Being bad is never bad enough to alienate us from God. You can't be too bad to be forgiven by the gospel of Christ. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God loves you, that he died for you, that he came for you you may we be a church that is courageous enough to take the mask off and to be with our God and here's the second part of this guys needs to be manifest in us means that he gives us the courage to begin to do that with one another listen to uh James chapter 5, verse 16. 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You say, well, brother, that is some, that is some risky business to take my mask off. Can I do that? Because if we are ever, if we are ever going to be changed by the glorious grace, power, and forgiveness of the living God, the mask has to come off. I'm not saying you have to publicly just lay it all out there and tell us all everything you're doing. But what I am saying is there are people in the body of Christ that God wants you to pray for and to pour your heart out to to agree what God says about us and to say, God, enable me by your spirit to really change. You know, I love the old saying, who who knows where it came from, The church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Because that is what we are. Just a broken, sometimes just nasty mess. But thankfully, His grace is is more. It's more. Uh, He wants us to begin to take the mask off. And I believe if we are going to be this year who God wants us to be as his people, we've got to be more vulnerable. We've got to be willing to realize that when we approach God, he sees us and he receives us through Christ. And we've got to learn to build relationships together that share that same powerful, significant truth among us. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What is repent? It means to call it like it is and to turn from it as we turn to God. And he says, when that happens, times of refreshing can come. Where we're just, where we're we're stuck and we're broken and we're depressed and we think there is no hope. There is in Christ, but it's not just a relationship that is with him, it is. But it is also a relationship of the cross where it is together with one another. That is so crucial and so important for us to do our job in reaching others for Christ and for us to grow deeper into the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I share a quick testimony. I've quickly grown to love the ranks of Scott and Gail. And and Scott, they came uh, from a ministry down in Florida where Scott was able to uh, spend time with some guys and to grow to love them and to take the mask off. They were able just to share, let let me tell you where I am. You know, this is ugly, but let me tell you. And so they're able to share and then cry together and and then gather together and lay hands on one another and to pray for one another and to grow in Christ. And then other people are attracted. Why? Because they think, I couldn't go there because I can't be good enough. 
But the simple truth is, none of us can be good enough. That is why Christ had to come and die upon the cross. Because we're messed up. Good is never good enough. That's why I love Lamentations 3 where he says, His mercies are new every morning. You think, man, I'm just unforgivable. That's the devil talking. His mercies are new every morning. You see, none of us are worthy to be here. None of us are worthy to receive the great blessings in Christ. He loves us. He has made it all possible. Let me share another verse with you. I love this one too, though. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another then, just as in Christ, God accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So, you know, just the end of that, he says, this brings praise to God. What brings praise to God? Accept one another. Take the mask off. Share with one another. Take this journey that is so tough because, as Jerry said earlier, we're in a war. And, and, and certainly a prayer room is a place of warfare because God is wanting to do a work, but it is not a work without resistance. We still have a sinful nature. We still have the devil who wants to destroy us. We still have a world system that doesn't understand us. But God is bigger. I love that in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And we're victorious in Christ. Except one another then. How? Just as Christ accepted you, you are accepted. I am accepted in Christ. See, the truth of the matter is we're all desperate to be loved. We all wonder if we really are. We all wonder, if I really took the mask off, would they really love me? We're afraid. Proverbs 19, verse 22 says, What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. We crave it. And we need it. And I believe we are doing an injustice to the heart and the will of God when we do not have an environment known as the church where that happens, where God is moving and changing and transforming lives. We need to be a place where we really listen to one another. Talk, talk, talk. Oh, I mean really listen to one another. That is showing love. Where we are a place where we are patient with one another. Or as it says in Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. Man, we're called to do that. That is church. That is church. And how do we do this? By never forgetting that we are sinners saved by grace. We're not the same. Now, what about not just those in here, the church of Christ? What about those out there who do not know Christ, that do not know the good news? 
that God is not after somebody who's perfect, knowing deep down that I can't be perfect. So they're worried about being rejected. Aren't we all? They say, well, those people at church, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. I know what they do. They're not honest. Why can't we change that? I know we're all messed up and we can't totally do it, but let's make movement that direction this year. Let's let God begin to move in us so that people out there, wouldn't it be great if, if the reputation was, man, you really loved it, Kingsway. I came in there and I thought, is this real? But I've been there a while now and I'm really loved at Kingsway. And they know me and they still love me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the work that God wants to do. And I believe it's what he wants to do in me and you. I believe that's what he wants to do. He wants to manifest. He wants to incarnate his love through us. These people think, well, they're incapable of understanding me. Let's give them a chance. Because the truth of the matter is, I have my days where I'm no better than, at least in my head, some of the worst characters I've seen. We all have the potential <laughs> to be just as evil as the next guy, as well as the potential to, to be just as morally good as the next guy. But thankfully, we have a God that's bigger than all that junk. So as I close uh, with the invitation of this first of these three messages, I just want to challenge you as we face this year. And let me begin. I don't want to just assume that everybody listening, whether it's in person or online, that you have encountered the God who loves you, that you have encountered the Savior, Jesus Christ, that allows us to take the mask off. Because we begin to get a glimpse of how deep and awesome and how impossible it is to share the depths of the love of God. Do you know him? What a great day to meet him. If you don't, you trust him, you just come, you take the mask off and you say, God, I come as I am. Forgive me. I want to take your goodness. I don't want to be just goody-goody. I want you in my life. I want your forgiveness. That's what you do. And then the second challenge for those of us who are already in the family of God. What are we going to do this year? Take the mask off. And what are we going to do to let people see who we really are in Christ? With an altar that's open and a God that speaks, let's pray. God bless us. We're here. We know you are. Our hope is you've spoken. May we simply respond and come in obedience to you. We look forward to what you intend to do this year. Grow us up, Master. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.